Welcome back to Brain Biohacking with your host, Kayla Barnes. We dive into all things optimal health, optimal brain health, nutrition, peak performance, cognitive excellence, biohacking, longevity, and so much more. We're going to be talking about all things hair biohacking, how to get thicker hair, shinier hair, better hair all around. This is part of my beauty biohacking series. So ways that we can really, you know, enhance our natural beauty and do some of the things that we might want to do, like make our hair thicker. Today, I'm going to be speaking with a renowned expert, Dr. Alan Bauman. He's an American hair transplant surgeon and hair restoration physician. Stay tuned. I know you're going to love this episode. Before we get into the episode, I have some exciting news. I have brought on my first podcast sponsor, and this is taking quite some time because I want to make sure that I'm only offering you tools that are the most effective and most worth your time. I've partnered with a brand that I've loved for a long time called Inside Tracker. I'm a big fan of testing your blood biomarkers to understand the current state of your health to then biohack your way to better health. Inside Tracker is an at-home or in-lab blood test that will not only show you your biomarkers based on an optimal range for you, but will also give you an action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. For a limited time only, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash Kayla Barnes. Again, that's insidetracker.com forward slash Kayla Barnes. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. I know you're going to love this episode. Hair growth is an important sign, as we said, of health and vitality, not just of youth and fertility. Dr. Bauman, it's such a pleasure to have you here with me today. Oh, it's great to be with you, Kayla. Absolutely. I've been wearing your turbo laser cap every day. I'm doing it like religiously because, uh, you know, I, I know that it works. Actually, I have friends that have used it and have seen a tremendous benefit. So I'm so excited to ask you all of the hair biohacking questions today. Awesome. So we can biohack baldness. Uh, I'm ready for you. I love that. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about your background. What got you so interested in hair? So, you know, I was born with hair, yes. as most of us were, uh, and I learned to like it and love it. But uh, the, the issue was really, uh, I didn't know anything about hair loss and hair restoration, uh, except that I watched my dad go bald when I was a teenager. And uh, his dad, my grandfather, I never met the guy with hair. So I figured, uh, especially since my mom's dad also had a big bald spot, that this is coming for me. But I didn't really know much about it. My first love was plastic surgery. I was lucky enough to have a mentor in plastic surgery who kind of showed me uh, the procedures and treatments that were life-changing for both men and women uh, in terms of body contouring and skin and so forth. But he didn't know much about hair. And it wasn't until I was in my residency program in surgery did I actually encounter someone who had had a hair transplant and I was completely blown away and unable to tell that he had had something done. And so that kind of started um, the journey, if you will, in my mind. That was the turning point because I had this amazing conversation with him. He and he was a, you know, he explained it in layman's terms how he had gone and had a hair transplant, and I was basically, you know, trying to figure out on his scalp where his hair was transplanted, and he was telling me how it had been done with single follicle implantation and all of that. And I was totally intrigued by the possibilities of recreating hair that looked totally natural, like this patient's. 
And then the second thing that he told me about was essentially how it changed his life and how it affected him socially and professionally. And that was something that really, really stuck with me. And I decided to look into it. And so that was the beginning uh, fork in the road, if you will, like the path opened up to me. And I started to do more due diligence and research into it, reading textbooks and journal articles and kind of keeping an eye open when I was at different conferences for cosmetic surgery, which was my first love, and learning a little bit more about hair. And the more I learned about it, the more I got interested in it. And I ended up teaming up with a physician out on Long Island because I was, I was born and raised in Jersey, college in California, medical school in New York. And that's where I did all my internship and residency training. I ended up doing a fellowship in hair transplants out in Long Island. Uh, and I, I never looked back actually. And so that was kind of uh, the turning point in terms of not going back to plastic and reconstructive procedures. I just got super involved in doing hair transplants and loving it. And just knowing that I just had to dedicate everything, all my energy effort uh, and willpower towards hair restoration for both men and for women. I love that. So and that's the short version. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. We'll add all your <laughs> yeah. credentials and everything in the show notes. But yeah. I love this because, you know, we can talk about biohacking our internal biology, which is amazing. You know, we all want to have great energy and feel amazing. But looking amazing is also kind of a part of this, at least it is for me. You know, um, having thick hair and good skin is, is so important. So I'm glad that uh, we're going to get to dive into it all. But can you tell us a little bit about why hair loss happens? Can it happen for a variety of reasons? Is it always genetic stress? What's the deal? So, you know, hair loss can be complicated. And of course, you know, in recent times you hear about alopecia and alopecia is the scientific term for hair loss, but just like scientific terms for many different things in medicine, alopecia is just a symptom. It just means that the hair is falling out. It doesn't tell you why. Just like if you had vertigo, you know, oh my God, my doctor diagnosed me with vertigo. Well, it just means you're dizzy, but it doesn't really tell you why. And there could be a million reasons why you're having vertigo or headaches or something like that. And same is true with hair loss. But there are obviously some things that are more common than not uh, when it comes to hair loss that we see kind of garden variety day in and day out in the practice. And then there are other things that are more rare. So let's just start with how hair follicles work, right? Hair follicles are under the skin and what they produce is kind of like what your fingernails produce, this hard substance. It's like a hard, thin fiber. And your body spends a lot of time, effort, and energy and resources to make that uh, hair fiber happen. And most people are born with about 100,000 to 150,000 hair follicles on their head. They cycle on and cycle off. They use a lot of energy. So things that can interrupt your energy um, or availability uh to, to create uh, these kinds of hair fibers, all of this energy, if something interrupts that, like for example, poor nutrition or inflammation or lifestyle factors like toxin exposure or poor sleep-wake cycles, things like that, your hair follicles are so highly metabolic that they're very, very sensitive. They become a very strong barometer for your overall health and wellness. But things can put those hair follicles at risk. And of course, as we know, genetics, play a big role. And genetics can essentially make your follicles more sensitive to certain hormones. And so for men, for example, male hormones are the primary trigger for miniaturization and loss of hair follicle function. And in women, it's uh, not so simple. There are androgen effects, but there are many, many other things that also affect hair as well. So um, in a nutshell, if you've got 
some kind of receding hairline or you have a loss of coverage or you're seeing a widening part line or you have symptoms like a shrinking ponytail or shedding like crazy, the most important thing to know is that you've got to find out why and you've got to seek out a medical professional who specializes in hair loss. And, you know, sometimes this is not going to be your local dermatologist. And I know I have a lot of dermatology friends and uh, many of them will agree they're, they're not that expert on hair loss. They're not board certified in hair restoration. So you've got to get a consultation to figure out what's going on. That's the most important thing to do so that we can figure out what is the cause, what are the risks, and then what to do about it. I love that. And I also love that you mentioned so many holistic um, kind of modalities or influences here, nutrition, sleep. Um, I'm a firm believer that most things don't just really happen, especially not overnight. So if you're taxing your energy centers, and now that I know that, you know, it takes so much energy to produce this beautiful hair that we have, um, that that's a really great analogy. So I appreciate that. So what about treatments that are on the market now? I know that many people look for a supplement to try to boost hair growth once they feel like their hair might be thinning. Are there any um, natural kind of ways to approach it um, before you go right to potentially getting, obviously, a hair transplant or something of that nature? Well, absolutely. So, you know, we start with the diagnosis. Uh, a lot of patients will consult with me virtually. Uh, a lot of patients will come in for hair loss measurements. So we can actually use our, our AI powered microscopes to count the hairs on their head and literally monitor exactly what the hair caliber is in different locations. And those kinds of evaluations, as well as blood tests, biomarkers, genetic testing and such, give us a bit of a clue as to what's going on. Uh, signs and symptoms will tell us also what's going on. Do you, do you have inflamed scalp and things like that? And so based on all of that information, well, then we can move into therapeutic modalities and treatments. But yes, absolutely, there's nutritional things that we can do. I mean, let food be thy medicine, right? I mean, we know that there can be a huge impact on, on our body in terms of what we put in and how we eat. So just as a great example, you know, we have collagen replacement uh, protocols, because as we age, we make less collagen and you know how important that is for skin. Well, it's important for hair too. And every year after, let's say, you know, age 30, our collagen production goes down. So we need to supplement that. You know, we may have issues with biotin metabolism and that's something that we can help elucidate through genetic testing. But if you're, if you have trouble uh, producing biotin in your gut through a healthy microbiome, or if you have trouble uh, with biotinase uh, activity, which is an enzyme, then you can supplement with biotin. And so those are some of like the offensive treatments that we use nutraceutically. And then what I would consider other like defensive would be things to help mitigate the effects of stress, like adaptogens, such as ashwagandha, or things that would boost your immunity. Uh, we have um, mushroom compounds and things like that. And we also have things that mitigate or reduce inflammation in the body, like curcumin, turmeric. You know, we've got to address the allostatic load, which is this like, you know, all the additive stress that's going on in modern life. We have to try to reduce that and deal with it um, and try to reduce all that anxiety that comes with it, you know, because sometimes the anxiety can cause the hair loss and sometimes the hair loss causes the anxiety um, and it can be a vicious cycle. So a lot of our, um, nutritional interventions kind of focus around that. And of course, as we mentioned androgens before, there are nutritionals that can help modulate hormones uh, for both men and for women, for example, like salt palmetto. 
Salt palmetto is an antiandrogen that you can take to reduce DHT, dihydrotestosterone, and that can be very helpful. So there's, like I said, these offensive and defensive types of nutritionals that we typically recommend. And we've got, uh, you know, on the Bauman team, so to speak, we have the Nutra team Bauman, which is uh, a variety of different nutritionals that we can prescribe. And, and I also use a lot of others as well, like Nutrafol and Viviscal and things like that in the practice. Wonderful. You bring up a point about collagen. So, mm -hmm. of course, there's so many collagen supplements in the market, and this question is asked to me all the time. Is collagen legitimate, you know, in terms of just the powders, and then how much do you need to take for it to actually be effective? Yeah, so, I mean, there's this is going to be a different answer for, uh, for each person in terms of how much they need to replace, right? Um, but yes, collagen is effective. I think there's plenty of data in the literature now that can show that. Um, you know, we can certainly put in the show links, if you would like, uh, the show notes, the links to some of the uh, more robust clinical trial work about supplementation with collagen. Um, you know, I like a, a multi-collagen uh, peptide compound, and there's a specific one that we use for the practice. Obviously, you're not going to get a vegan collagen. <laughs> it needs to be, uh, it needs to be uh, animal protein, but um, it's, uh, you know, it's very popular and it's very, very helpful, I find, in a variety of patients who have some issues with their nutritional status. So again, you know, that, that has to be uh, taken patient by patient. And if you're not seeing good results with the collagen that you're taking right now, then maybe you want to try one that's specifically designed for hair. And we call that one the builder. That's uh, that's the Bauman branded collagen. Great. For and hair. You, get, you can get that on your website? Yeah, it's on our e-store. And uh, again, we can put the links there. But, uh, you know, what I do recommend is that we start with the evaluation first before you start, you know, grasping at straws. Because, you know, there's a hierarchy. We want to make sure that your scalp is healthy, that you have, you know, good soil for the plants first off. And then, uh, you know, nutrition is kind of also foundational, but maybe not as powerful as things that like you mentioned before, like laser light or even medications and so forth, or regenerative medicine like platelet-rich plasma and PDO grow and exosome therapy, things like that. Absolutely. So I want to go back really quick. So when you talked about genetics, what are there? Are there specific gen genetic SNPs that you're looking for or gene variants that you're looking for? If someone has their 23andMe test, I know this might scare people. So maybe you don't even want to check, but what would you, what genes are you looking at? Yeah. So um, I can tell you the exact SNPs if you would like, but we do a test that's called Trichotest. Um, and that's probably the easiest way because what that does is it takes into account some of the epigenetic factors, like, a, you know, it makes you fill out a form first, and then it combines that with your genetic test. And it tells us exactly what metabolic pathways might be influencing your hair loss, and therefore, which metabolic pathways we can target specifically to improve your hair growth. So I'll give you some great examples. I hear all the time in the practice, oh, I tried Rogaine over the counter minoxidil, Costco, it didn't work. Okay. Well, first let's figure out what you mean by that. You know, did you just stay the same? Did you continue to get worse? Because, you know, staying the same with hair loss is actually an okay result. Maybe it's not a great result, but it's, it's better than losing ground. Um, but what we know is that about 30 to 40% of folks out there may not respond to the minoxidil that's just in the generic bottle. And the reason for that is that there's a certain amount of enzyme activity at the level of the scalp called sulfotransferase activity. And this is what converts minoxidil that comes out of the bottle 
right? FDA approved minoxidil into minoxidil sulfate, which is the active ingredient or the active metabolite right at the level of the skin, which triggers hair follicle function. And so if you have low sulfotransferase activity, you're not going to convert to minoxidil sulfate that easily. And you're, you know, 2% or 5% or 10% minoxidil is going to have very, very little effect. So, or less effect than you would expect. And so how do we figure this out? Well, those genetic tests can help tell us if you have a propensity for low sulfotransferase activity. And if that's the case, then we have to compensate for that. That means either adding another type of modality or beefing up the minoxidil topical with a compounded version that has a sulfotransferase booster, something like tretinoin, for example, but there's others too. So that's just one example. That's just one SNP that could explain why 40% of folks who have tried over-the-counter minoxidil didn't get a great result from it. That's a that's an incredible point. What about the biomarkers? Are there any specific biomarkers that you're looking for? I mean, I'm just going to throw an example. Is it like if your vitamin D levels are really low, then potentially, you know, you might have a propensity for more hair loss? Yeah, bingo. So um, today there's a lot of data on vitamin D and hair loss. And some of my colleagues in the International Society of Hair Restoration Surgery have done studies on this. There's a lot in the clinical literature on vitamin D. Uh, so that plays a very important role. If you're anemic, right? If you're low in iron, for whatever reason, you're not carrying enough oxygen in your blood, that's going to starve the follicles of an important nutrient, right? That's the, the fuel that your follicles need to burn. And, uh, you know, uh, there could be many other things. If you have a thyroid imbalance, if your, you know, testosterone or DHT levels are exceptionally high, if you have a thyroid imbalance, if you have a variety of different things, and we can look for even, um, autoimmune markers in the body, right? There's certain antibody tests that we can look at, uh, and, uh, see if you have a propensity towards autoimmune disorders, or if you know that you have an autoimmune disease in the family, we would definitely want to take a look at that. Well, this is amazing. People might come to you and actually get like two benefit. They might regrow their hair or make their hair thicker and find an underlying condition, it sounds like, which is yeah. very cool. Well, uh, well Kayla, actually, um, hair growth is an important sign, as we said, of health and vitality, not just of youth and fertility, um, but it's a very strong barometer. So oftentimes, we see hair loss and hair thinning in women occur around the stressful situation of childbirth, but then it can also occur again around the time of perimenopause and menopause. So often we're identifying these fluctuations in hormone levels um, at the time when hair loss is occurring. And in men specifically, we can see other issues, other problems that occur, uh, maybe even lifestyle factors like toxin exposure, smoking, and or poor lifestyle choices, lack of sleep, you know, A-type personalities. And again, this allostatic load that we talk about, which is the, the, the sum total of our of our stress response. That's you know over over um, overactive stress response, chronic stress response. That's not good for the body in many different ways. Absolutely not. It's such a you know I don't want basically silent killer. Realistically, you know, it just has such a impact on the body. Um, stress, absolutely. So. Let's talk about red light therapy. So why is it, I mean, this cap just seems to be amazing to me. So easy to use. You can do it while doing other things, but what is some of the science on red light therapy and hair growth? Yeah. So low level laser light therapy, which is really uh, the science of photobiomodulation, which is the use of wavelengths of light, usually visible light, but not always. 
to have an impact on cellular metabolism. This is something like 25, 30 years ago, when I went to medical school 30 years ago, you know, they didn't really teach us any of that, uh, you know, in terms of what the light had an effect, if the light had an effect on the human body, what we knew about was photosynthesis and that was about it. But today, thanks to people like Dr. Michael Hamblin, who is just the ultimate research guru, PhD, brilliant scientist, and all of the thousands of his colleagues and tens of thousands of papers now that have been written on photobiomodulation, we now know all there is to know about how light really affects cellular metabolism. And so years ago, we did not know that visible red light had an effect on the mitochondria, which are the energy centers within the cells. We didn't know that the cytochrome C oxidase in the electron transport chain of the membrane of the mitochondria was the photoacceptor molecule, but we know that today. And now we know that there's a huge cascade of events, not just an enormous burst of ATP, which is the, the, cell, the, the fuel that the cells use, but also anti-inflammatory properties, improvements in blood flow and acceleration of wound healing. Um, it's just amazing how many great effects, not just red light, but also near infrared and far infrared can have on the body. I mean, look, you know, I'm a volunteer for a veteran group here in, the, in, uh, in Boca Raton for US vets an active military. And we use photobiomodulation to help them with traumatic brain injury. And we use transcranial photobiomodulation on them and, and do a lot of testing. So, you know, this is some real solid science. Now, this is not hocus pocus. It really does work. And, uh, you know, I helped, uh, design the turbo laser cap, which is the one that we sent over to you with the help of Dr. Michael Rabin, who is, uh, an MD and the inventor of the original laser cap, which has been knocked off a zillion times in China and elsewhere. And that um, you know, the turbo laser is really designed to be convenient so that you have the shortest treatment time, cover the scalp totally. So it has about 25 to 30% more coverage than any other device on the market. It's designed to be portable. And so you can pack it, you can disassemble it and in a minute, and it basically packs completely flat for travel. It's cordless and rechargeable, and it's packed with over 300 pure laser diodes. So we're not talking LEDs, which you can see in many of the consumer devices. Um, yeah, they're a little bit more expensive to put in there, um, but they're the ones that are going to generate that really huge increase in ATP production, which is the energy that the follicles are then going to use to make better quality hair. That, that's, that's great. What about blood flow when it's related to hair? Does, does that play an influence? Because I talk all the time about the importance of blood flow and brain health. What about for hair health? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, if you're, if you have an area, let's say that's been scarred due to trauma or surgery or like a burn victim, I mean, I can tell you as a hair transplant surgeon, you have to be very careful how you apply transplanted hair follicles into a zone like that. You can't just go gangbusters and willy nilly into a zone like that. You have to treat that area very carefully. There are things that we do to improve blood flow in those specific cases like nitric oxide, uh, orally, so, uh, nitric oxide, oral supplements, topical nitric oxide releasing agents. We use red light therapy. We use PRP. We use a lot of things to make that ground more fertile so that it will accept the transplanted hairs. So if we dial that back a little bit and we think of poor blood flow on the scalp, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that could be happening. Maybe you have inflammation and, and micro scar tissue at the level of the scalp that needs to be rectified or at least addressed uh, to get better hair growth. And the thing also is that as the follicles start to weaken, 
they actually demand less blood flow. So there's less blood flow going into that zone just by nature of not having a lot of hair there. Um, if you can crank up the hair growth, you can actually increase the blood flow. So it's almost like a chicken or the egg thing in some ways. Yeah, that, that's super interesting. But we can definitely probably say that exercise and improving blood flow that way is good for hair health. Yeah. Um, you know, it would be great to study that. Uh, I think that there's probably a little bit more data on massage of the scalp and uh, treatments that we do directly to the scalp to track blood flow. Um, I, I have actually a, um, a handheld ultrasound machine so we can actually, you know, attach this to my iPhone. We can actually look at the occipital vessels and we can see what the blood flow and the Doppler flow is in those vessels. If we're curious about that, um, we can do... Uh, transcranial um, oxygen saturation. So transdermal oxygen sensors are available so we can check the blood flow there. We can also look using uh, infrared photography uh, to see if there's enough blood flow in those areas, let's say in a scar tissue, scar tissue. And we can check perfusion the old fashioned way, which is basically to push on the area with your finger until it blanches white and then you let go of it and see when and how long it takes to get the, the pinkness back just like if you pinch the tip of your finger, you know, it takes a, a couple of seconds for the color to come back. So we can do we can do all of those things uh, as a surgeon, as a surgeon to, to see what's going on there. Very cool. You talked about PRP and I've done PRP before for skin health. Um, and I actually have had them put some injections before into my hair. I've also done it with exosomes. Um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. And then you also mentioned one other thing. Um you said PRP, there's a couple like topical treatments. What was the last thing that you, you mentioned? Um, well, so in the, in our regenerative medicine category, and, I, and I'm a huge fan of regenerative medicine. I've been involved with the American Academy of Anti-Aging for, you know, over 20 years and the uh, age management medicine group. Uh, and these, and I've been, you know, one of the first uh, stem cell certified physicians from the A4M. I took one of the first classes that they ever offered in terms of certification. So World Stem Cell Summit is a, a conference I go to a lot. But the point is, is that I love regenerative medicine and that's the biggest area of improvement and change in the world of hair loss and hair restoration that I've seen in the past, let's say five years, 10 years. That's where most of the improvements have really come, of, come, of, come about in the area of regenerative medicine. So we have PRP, we've done over 10,000 PRPs in the practice uh, for nearly almost 20 years, 18 years or more of PRP treatments. And of course they've changed and evolved over time. Now we also have what we call PDO Grow, and that's the use of PRP plus the threads, the PDO threads, polydioxinone threads at the same time. And you mentioned exosomes, which are, of course, the messages that the stem cells give off to tell the uh, tissue what to do, how to regenerate, how to repair. And we have exosomes, you know, basically in our cryo fridge at minus 80 that we can thaw and use either with the PRP or as a standalone treatment topically, if we would like, uh, you know, for hair regrowth and also for wound healing after hair transplantation is very, very popular as well. Yeah, the, the PRP, I mean, I think everyone calls it liquid gold. That's at least what I call it. But I've done microneedling on its own and then with the PRP, and it's incredible um, how much quicker the skin heals with the, the PRP versus just microneedling. So that's oh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, come on, that goes back to the Kim Kardashian vampire facelift from, uh, you know, a long time ago. It's probably over 15 years ago, right? Um, so we knew that something was happening with, the use of platelets 
And uh, platelets are the body's own workforce for tissue regeneration and repair. I mean, just think about it. If you get a paper cut, the first guys on scene are platelets to clot the blood and then to stimulate tissue regeneration and repair. And so if we can leverage the payload of literally billions and billions and billions of platelets to do our bidding, right? Whether it be on the skin of our face to improve the tightness or texture or glow, as well as on the scalp to improve hair follicle function. I mean, that's super exciting, I think. Certainly. Can PRP actually regrow the hair or is it mostly just keeping that, as you said, kind of the the bed fertilized or really healthy or can it actually prompt hair regrowth? Well, remember, think about P- I saw how I explained to my patients. I think about PRP like fertilizer in the garden. Now, uh, from the top floor of the building, you may not be able to see that blade of grass, you know, growing down at the street level. But if that blade of grass grew taller and thicker and stronger, then you'd be able to see it. So sometimes you might have hair that you're not really able to perceive with the naked eye that could grow better and thicker and stronger and give you coverage again, which is really, really nice and exciting. But sometimes it's hard to tell without a microscope whether you have hair there that's viable, that could be rejuvenated or not. And so that's kind of why we need to look at your scalp under the microscopes. That's what these are, right? Uh, as well as our electronic microscopes, our dermoscopes. Um, we call them the hair cams and such. And we have a variety of different ones to really tell what areas are most likely to respond to PRP. Because, for example, you might have a variety of different zones. So if you start right at your hairline, you may have an area that's completely depleted. And unfortunately, if it's severely depleted, PRP is not going to change it. But right behind that, you might have an area of severe miniaturization. So you have high density, low quality hair. Well, that may not give you, giving you much coverage right now, but PRP could really enhance that or other non-invasives, PRP plus laser, PRP plus topicals. Um, and then you may have other areas which are at risk, but have not been miniaturized yet that we need to protect. And PRP can do that very well, keeping those follicles as healthy as they possibly can be. So, um, you know, you may have different zones that respond differently. And we see that all the time when we measure the scalp uh, hair growth using hair check tools. So, you know, we see areas that respond amazing and we see areas that are just kind of maintaining or improving just five or 10%. That's great. And you can do that all with these specialty microscopes and lenses that you have. You can just kind of spot check how the hair is doing in each area, right? Yeah, we have we have microscopes that are AI powered. So we can do a, a photograph of an area of scalp. It, that photograph gets sent to the cloud in a millisecond and comes back. And it that photograph is then analyzed and it tells us exactly how many hairs each hair is identified and sorted in terms of their thickness, in terms of microns. So it gives us a rating scale of whether those hairs are super small, small, medium, large, or jumbo, basically. And uh, and it gives a whole you know graph on the screen of what's going on. And then I have another microscope that actually gives a virtual tattoo. So we can take a picture of your scalp and then come back to that same zone. It could be, let's say, even a couple of days later, and the computer will know exactly matching hair to hair. And so you know, I guess someone once said all the hairs on our head are numbered, right? Uh, I think that's a biblical verse, but this microscope actually tracks hair to hair matching. So, you know, if you want to know if hair 422 got more pigment or less pigment or got thicker or is missing now, and it was there before, I mean, this software is so sophisticated 
it really tells us exactly what's going on. So we'll know, like in your particular case, what's working. That's incredible. I love, you know, it's almost like bio-individuality with hair. So what's going to work, what what won't. When it comes to, I guess this is applicable for men and women, but, you know, brushing our hair is obviously something, I mean, I do it every day after I wash my hair. Is there a specific way that we can brush our hair better? Do you have any tips on this for women? Well, what you want to make sure is that you're not brushing your hair when it's in a fragile state. So what we've talked about so far is the function of the hair follicle, but we really haven't talked too much about what the hair shaft is all about. So the hair shaft is that, that you know, that long fiber of, of, let's say, collagen and other things, protein, keratin, and so forth, go into that to make it, um, you know, the, the flexible, subtle, uh, shiny, but yet uh, beautiful, beautiful fiber that it is, right, in mass when you have 100,000 of them. And so the interesting thing about the hair fibers is that when they're wet, they're absorbing the moisture of, let's say, you know, your shower, your shampoo, what have you. Um, but they're also very fragile when they're wet. So if you're combing your hair strongly when it's wet, you're actually more prone to break the hair at that time. So we want to be just very careful when you're combing your hair wet. Um, even how you dry your hair can make a big difference. So, I mean, we have special towels for, for those with long hair, men or women, actually. And we have special brushes that we recommend as well. But um, you know, for really to figure out what's going on with your hair fiber and is it performing well? Is it, um, you know, is it dull? Is it shiny? Is it rough? Is it smooth? Uh, is it the right color? Is it the right curl? I have a full-time trichology department with a certified trichologist and certified hair coach on staff and her team to actually evaluate all those things. In addition to the health of your scalp, she handles the beauty of your hair as well. So that's totally different than what we do on the hair growth side, which is really, you know, my specialty. So it works, works hand in glove when I have a, a licensed cosmetologist who's also a trichologist in the practice to help do that. You know, trichology is a study of hair and scalp, and it's not as popular here in this part of the world in the United States. It's a little bit more popular in the UK. Um, but more and more trichologists are becoming certified here in the US. And I think it's going to be a big part of how we take care of our hair as a society, uh, especially as hair surgeons get busier, you, they're gonna wanna have a trichologist on staff, like I do. I agree, that seems like a very valuable position. Um, so we've talked about kind of why we lose our hair. Uh, really quick to touch on gray hair. Um, do you, is there anything that guys can do or, or women too that can help um, prevent gray hair or is it just all genetic? And by the way, I was very excited to learn this the other day, but my mother is 50. She has not a single gray hair. My grandfather is 79 and he only has some gray hair in his beard and none on his head. So I feel like genetically I have, I have a good runway there. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's a huge genetic component and don't forget also that allostatic load. So keeping, you know, your cool, so to speak, in terms of keeping the stress level low, um, is going to help maintain the pigmentation of those hair follicles. I mean, we've all heard the anecdotal reports throughout history with stressful situation. And it seemed like, you know, their hair turned gray overnight. All you have to do is look at some of our presidents before and after, uh, and see if that's the case. You know, I think, uh, uh, Barack Obama certainly looked a lot more gray after he was done uh, than when he started. And so, um, but 
yeah, what you can do, there's not a lot you can do um, at this moment. There's a lot of research ongoing. There's some things that uh, we can't really talk about today yet, but I know that there's a lot of research happening in the world of pigmentation and such. So some of that is, uh, you know, still top secret. So I'll ask you to just stay tuned and we can reveal some of that as we go forward. Um, but, you know, there are certain pathways like catalases and so forth that uh, people have been talking about, which, you know, really require a little bit more research. And so that's what's going on uh, nowadays. So stay tuned. I think we'll figure this out. But until then, obviously, we have to make sure that, again, we, you know, maintaining good nutrition and keeping our allostatic load under control, the stress, uh, you know, keeping our stress level low, and then result, re resorting to color when we need to, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, you know, Absolutely. if we want to keep our hair looking dark and strong. Absolutely. So for men, let's say that they've tried everything, their nutrition is good, and unfortunately, they've just lost their hair. So you know, we, they can of course come to you in the early stages, which I think getting ahead of any issue is where, what you should do. If you notice something going awry, you should address it right away, get a consultation with you. But what are the kind of different options for men and women for hair transplants in your office? Yeah. So, I mean, and you make a good point. We say in the field of hair loss that time is follicle. So every moment lost in time, you could have an irreversible degradation of a hair follicle. And since we can't duplicate hair follicles yet, although there are some friends of mine trying to work on that, um, we can move a bunch of them around. But we definitely want to try to preserve what you have. And so, of course, our, our first part of our conversation today was to how to preserve the hairs that you have. And we went through nutrition and red light therapy, regenerative medicine. And, of course, there's medications like minoxidil and finasteride and dutasteride and even prostaglandin analogs and things like that. But if the follicle is dead and gone, then we're going to need to move some hair follicles from the more permanent zones, which is typically the back and the sides of the scalp, into the thinning or the balding area. And for men, it's a little bit more obvious, right? They have a receding hairline or a bald spot in the crown. We can take out a bunch of their hair from the sides and the back, maybe even up to almost 50% of it to redistribute and create coverage once again in those thinning or balding areas. And today that's done without scalpel, without stitches. It's done with a minimally invasive style of hair transplantation, which is comfortable, by the way. It's not a torture chamber and it heals super quick and it also comfortably with a lot less restricted recovery than the old days with the stitches or staples, we take the individual grafts, which contain as little as a single hair follicle, and we can implant them into the thinning zone. But it's not just done haphazardly, and it's not like planting palm trees. You have to insert the grafts and make the sites according to Mother Nature's orientation, angle, and position so that the end result looks natural. And so, of course, that's all completed under local anesthetic while a patient is awake or snoozing or watching, you know, movies on Netflix or listening to music. Um, it takes a number of hours to complete that kind of work. Sometimes it takes more than one day and it takes about a week to completely recover before the crusting is basically gone. And then the follicles are in a resting phase for several months before they start to kick into gear. It usually requires about five to six months to see half of the result and about 10 to 12 months to see the final result for most patients. But uh, in women, hair transplantation can be a little bit different. We have to make sure, is there enough room in the female pattern of hair loss? Because the female pattern may look a little bit different. They can retain the hairline, but they lose density in the mid zone or the frontal zone, I should say. Um, we want to make sure are they a good candidate and do we have the right instruments and right approach to fill in those gaps and openings 
for our female patients. And that's why the evaluation is so critical. A lot of times our women are coming in with a high hairline or receding temples. Those are easy to handle. And we very often restore that through transplantation pretty simply uh, using the same methods. But we can do for women, for example, a no-shave hair transplant, we can take the follicles without trimming any of the existing hair whatsoever and uh, perform that implantation so that women don't have to shave their head, they don't have to trim their hair, change their hairstyle. And uh, this is a relatively new style of technique that is now available for women, um, not just in the, in the hairline and the temple areas or the crown, but also in eyebrows and eyelashes and sideburns and to fill in plastic surgery scars and things like that too. So exciting. So you and I are going to do a little consult on my hair here in a few minutes, but before we move on to that, what are your thoughts on peptides? So uh, peptides are super exciting, right? I mean, they can, uh, you know, help us recover better uh, from workouts. They can help stimulate growth hormone. You know, you've got a variety of different peptides that are out there. Some of them are being more strongly regulated now by the FDA, or maybe the FDA wants to strongly regulate them. So I would caution any of your listeners to find a trusted physician who has trusted pharmaceutical uh, you know, compounders who can help them with the peptides. But there are some really, really cool peptides that work for hair. And this is not actually new if you've been in the field of hair restoration as long as I have, because 20 years ago, we used a copper peptide called copper GHK or copper tripeptide for wound healing and for hair growth after hair transplant surgery. And it was a blue looking solution. It came in little kits that were like foil packets with gauze that was soaked in this copper peptide and bottles and for sprays and spritzing after the procedure. And uh, you could use it also long-term after that as well. But those uh, that copper peptide was really amazing and had a lot of good science behind it for the wound healing properties and also for hair growth. So copper peptide is not something super new. It's also been used in skincare for, like I said, almost two decades or so. And, uh, but it, but nowadays it's like, what's old is new again. People are just discovering copper peptide. And I, um, you know, I've seen that, uh, people are now using it injectably and topically and things like that. So, uh, there's some pretty exciting stuff that's out there. Um, there's also copper, there's also peptides, uh, like thymulin, for example. And, uh, uh, those are, you know, there are some other ones that have been touted for hair regrowth. And I think we need a little bit more research on that, to be honest, uh, to fully recommend them. But I know a lot of folks out there in the biohacking world are testing and trying those. And, uh, you know, I wish them great luck and I hope that we get a chance to measure and monitor them as well, because, uh, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of peptides. Um, you know, I, I've had good experience with them in my practice and me, myself personally. So, uh, I certainly think it's it's the way of the future. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very, very exciting time. And I've played around with them a little bit. I was actually doing, and you can tell me if I'm way off base, but, um, and we're going to jump into this, but I've been telling my followers and anyone listening to the pep, the, sorry, the podcast, but um, we, I want to grow in the hair here in this area. I told you I was yep. basically born with my hair pulled back. So yep. it's been super tight for a long time. I was doing like a derma roller just in this mm -hmm. area lightly. And then I was applying a peptide and then I was doing the cap after. Is there, is this nice. a, a decent protocol? 
Well, I like that idea. Well, microneedling, of course, uh, we know is very, very good for hair growth. I just get a little bit nervous when folks do it on their own because I wonder, you know, how well the devices that they're using have been sterilized and have they been how they've been manufactured and how are they sharp? Or are they not? Are they dull? Are they getting rusty? You know, how are you sterilizing it yourself? Um, how aggressive are you being? Because when we, to be honest, I mean, let's think about this just in terms of microneedling, it deserves to be discussed. A microneedling tool, like a professional microneedling tool that a physician would use on you. And when you're in my practice, for example, we do microneedling after every PRP. While the scalp is numb, we do a professional microneedling treatment and we use a, a, a growth factor serum at the same time. And so that microneedling device, that's like a $14,000 device. And it has a disposable tip that costs over $250 a piece. So this is a one-time use disposable tip that's manufactured in such a way so it doesn't get caught on the hair. Mm -hmm. And it's completely adjustable in terms of depth down to the, the millimeter, a uh, fraction of a millimeter. And it's adjustable in terms of its vibration. And it's a corded device. It's not an old-fashioned rechargeable one, uh, which were banned by the FDA years ago. Um, so just compare that with what you might be doing at home. And you might be thinking, Hmm, maybe I need a little bit of an upgrade. So I, I always worry when folks are, are purchasing these rollers and stamps and such uh, online, and even the mechanical tools, again, the ones that were not approved by the FDA years ago, uh, whether they're coming from China with the disposable tips from God knows where, um, you know, how deep are you doing it? How are you keeping yourself comfortable while you're doing it at the correct depth? Because there's a thing that we look for at the level of the scalp when we're doing the microneedling that tells us that we're at the right depth and that we've done enough. And there's kind of that little sweet spot. If you don't do enough, you're not going to get the result. And if you do too much, you're going to cause damage. And remember, if you de permanently damage a follicle, you're out of luck. I mean, that's not so good. You don't want to create a lot of inflammation. You want to just trigger a little bit of wound healing in that area. You just want to send a little signal to the local area to release the growth factors. You don't want to like create a big bloody mess up there. So I get, I get very nervous with my patients uh, when I see the stuff that's going on on YouTube. <laughs> so um, I guess that's just my little word of caution there. Sorry. <laughs> But not to it, say no, that what you're doing is wrong, Kayla, but, you know, just be careful out there, okay? No, it's it's a great point. I yeah, and I asked you, too, because I want an honest opinion because I actually don't use it on my skin at home for that exact reason. Okay. I know that the um, in-office microneedling devices are going directly in and out of the skin versus that home when you're rolling it, it's going in at an angle and it can actually make micro tears. Yeah, I don't use it yeah. anywhere on my face, but that's a great point. Why would I, you know, maybe do it on my hair? I was just hoping it would get the peptides in there a little bit better, but you make a great point and I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. I mean, look, the peptides are good. Like, the, you know, if you're using synthymulin or copper peptide, that's great. Um, you know, some of the other stuff with thymosin uh, beta-4, you want to be careful because there's some data that shows that the TB4 uh, may be good for hair growth, but also may not be. You know, some of the studies in the University of Miami said that the TB4 is maybe not so good. So there's, you know, that's one of those things where we have to watch the research now to see what the... Um, you know, what the lion's share research is going to say, because now we have some studies that say yes, and some studies that say no on the TB4. So be careful, you know, if that's in there, you yeah, might be doing yeah. more harm than good. And I would rather you be doing something more like a, a platelet extract or something like that, or, you know, come into the office, let's use some topical exosomes, uh, you know, that come from stem cells that are like super powerful, you know, high concentration, you know, tens of billions or, or hundreds of billions of, uh, of exosomes to really get a nice effect for you.
Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. Um, can we do a quick little analysis, maybe like a 15 minute one? I know that usually sure. you do like an hour, but okay. So I'm going to, as I told you, should I pull my hair down? Yeah, yeah for sure. Let's take a look. So I don't color my hair. I don't do anything to it. Um, I just get a haircut, a very simple, plain haircut, by the way. My hair was pulled back, but this is the area. Let me adjust this. This is the area that I do have some thinning. The rest of it, I don't know. You tell me what to do. Yeah. So, I mean, first, uh, what I always like to hear from my my patients is what their history of hair loss is in the family. So mom's side or dad's side, I would try to get a nice genetic picture if they have siblings with hair loss or not, male or women, male or female, um, what's going on with their hair situation in the close blood relatives, right? Because that's going to help us figure out your genetic risk. And then, you know, always get an idea of an overview of the health status. And I know you're a biohacker. And so you're really on point with all that stuff and you live it, live, live a Zen lifestyle. So, um, Zen, I try. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or trying to, right. So all of those things are going to be really, really important. So we just try to get that overview. And then we kind of want to hear the inventory of symptoms. So sometimes patients will say, yeah, I'm receding here, or it just looks a little thinner to me, or I have a wider part line or I'm shedding like crazy. So those are the kinds of things that we want to hear to start with. So mother's side, there is no baldness at all. Like I told you, my grandfather, not only is he, doesn't he have, he does not have gray hair, but he also has a full thick head of hair. Um, my father though, actually did go bald. I don't know exactly at what age, I would guess probably late twenties, um, just standard male pattern baldness. My mother full head of hair and in terms of symptoms, um, I don't have, I really don't have any symptoms. I just, I always want to be better at everything in my life, I guess. So, um, I would like thicker hair just because, um, I, you know, I get compliments on my hair often, so I'm not losing a lot of hair. The main area that I would say is just around the temples. And I, I believe it's because maybe some breakage just be from having it back. So for so many years on end, um, that's an area that I want to focus on. And not only that, but also, as I mentioned to you, um, the eyebrow, uh, we, we, mm -hmm. I, this has been on my mind for a long time. I think it's the coolest thing. So ladies, if you've been thinking about microblading or you've had a bad microblading experience or something of that nature, if you wax your eyebrows way too much, you know, over the years and you want them back, I think this is one of the coolest options that we have is being able to actually transplant the hair in back into the eyebrows. Yeah. So um, one of the things that we would do if you were here in the office, is we would obviously assess the back and the sides of the scalp to see what the density and the quality of the hair is uh, back there compared to the front. Obviously, in the front, we can see that it's a little bit weak. Um, and so sometimes we wonder, well, is the hairline, was it just there very high to begin with? And then now it's weakening and receding as we go further back uh, with age. Sometimes that can happen. Um, if we want to uncover any medical issues or medical problems. So if you've been treated with any medical issues or aware of any medical conditions who on the first visit, obviously we want to get that information and history from you. If you have not been uh, diagnosed with anything, we may elect to do a little bit of biomarker blood tests and so forth, or even a genetic test to see if there's anything at risk there. But if we're looking at the level of the scalp, and let's just say we see that there's a lot of weak wispy hair and you have a history of either tight braids or some women have worn extensions for many years or have worn hair 
Um, it could be different ethnicities wear different hairstyles like braids and cornrows and things like that. Sometimes that extra pulling and traction on the hair follicle causes the follicles to weaken over time. And so what you end up with is a much shorter wispier hair coming out of that follicle repeatedly again and again, and it doesn't really grow long again, ever. Um, unless you treat it with something uh, medically or, or otherwise, right? So we want to try to identify that. Is there an area where the density is very low? If there's weaker quality hair there, what can we do about it? And so some women actually just prefer to have a lower hairline. And then we're just talking about, okay, maybe you don't have too much of a risk of hair loss, but we just want to lower the hairline. Then, you know, we would be talking directly about hair transplantation. But of course, you know, we've spent a lot of time earlier in our conversation today about the different modalities. So we want to elucidate, did you ever try anything like, as you said, red light therapy or different vitamins or nutritionals? And how did they work for you? Or if you tried an over-the-counter minoxidil or topical medication, you know, how did that go? Did you have any kind of irritation or anything like that? So we'll get through some of the things that what you had done in the past, if anything at all, um, those lifestyle factors, if we can uncover those risks, and then a little bit about what you're trying to accomplish. So, uh, you know, for example, if you said, well, I just want my hair to be better, that's okay. Most women and men who like their hair want their hair to not just stick around, but be the best it could possibly be. And so that's where we start with the non-invasive therapeutic interventions to try to fortify the function of the follicle and to protect it over time. Absolutely. So I started using the red light therapy cap about one month ago or so. Um, mm -hmm. I do already see little baby, new baby hairs coming out. So it's super exciting. Um, but what I think, I think we should, I think I should come down for a visit and we do like a, a full hair analysis and look at the, look at the eyebrows and, you know, see what can be done here. Yeah. I mean, uh, we always encourage that. I mean, some of our patients can easily make it down to Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, pretty simple if you're on the East Coast of the U.S. Um, but we do have patients from all over the U.S. and all over the world that do come and visit us here. What some folks have called the hair hospital. We got over 12,000 square feet and uh, almost about 30 uh, team members here to help you uh, maintain and preserve your amazing head of hair. Um and the measurements certainly can help us, right? But there's a lot of things that you can do. So you, like you said, you've already started red light therapy. We often do that from a distance. Some patients will do um, topicals, growth factors, even the micro stamp, microneedling or stamping and such at home. We call that virtual PRP because it's not PRP that you do in the office with your own blood, but it's with a growth factor cocktail uh, that you can do at home. And then maybe there's some of those uh, nutritionals or other oral medications that we could use depending on your particular situation. Um, but if you have eyebrow loss, like if, you know, and that can be a concerning symptom, if your eyebrow loss is due to like plucking or waxing or other issues like trauma, then, um, you know, we need to look at it and see, could we replace those follicles using transplantation, you know, from the back of the scalp. But if you haven't had a history of all of that, then we would look towards maybe autoimmune conditions or inflammation. And there's some uh, pretty dastardly scarring types of alopecia that could occur that could hurt the hairline and leave you with just scar tissue there and also affecting eyebrows and eyelashes. And so while that seems unlikely in your particular case, Kayla, that's definitely something that we're on the lookout because it's becoming an epidemic and epidemic proportions. Oh, and then the other thing that we talk about these days is what's going on with COVID. So did you have COVID? Did you get the vaccine or not? Were you locked down and stressed out? So I've treated over a thousand COVID hair loss related patients 
And um, you know, we've seen all of the above, accelerating male pattern, female pattern, autoimmune conditions, scarring alopecias, uh, telogen effluvium, shedding phases, going crazy, long COVID patients who just have this continual shedding cycle for months on end. And they need uh, you know, aggressive treatment to stop that uh, cycling of, of loss. Wow, that's, yeah, that's super interesting. Um, I had COVID, but I don't think that my um, hair thinning around this little area is related to that. But that's, yeah, that's incredible. Well, doctor, this has been so great. I think that we really covered a lot today. Um, I'm certainly going to leave a link for your clinic um, in the show notes, and maybe we'll add some of those collagen studies in there. But this has been incredible. um, And I can't wait to see you soon in person. All right, Kayla. Well, we're ready for you. In the meantime, I want you to continue with the laser cap and uh, tighten up those nutritional regimen. Okay. And maybe we can just make sure that your scalp care and scalp hygiene is on point. So when you come in, we can do a really, really nice evaluation for you. Absolutely. One last question. So when you say hair care and scalp care, do you have products on your website as well that you recommend? We do. Um, The newly reformulated Boost line, which is a shampoo and conditioner, has a lot of really cool new technology. There's been some new science that has told us that hair follicles actually smell, that they are responsive, that they're chemo responsive to certain odors in the environment. And so we've included these olfactory triggers in the shampoo and the conditioner in the boost line, as well as some other more traditional approaches to the hair loss situation like DHT blockers, for example, saw palmetto, and then stimulators like caffeine and green tea and things like that. And then I have another line, which is called Soothe. And the shampoo and the conditioner on the Soothe line contains CBD and some other anti-inflammatory properties to it. In addition to, of course, some hair growth ingredients too, but those are mainly designed to kind of soothe the scalp and calm down the inflammation that is very, very common out there. About 50% of people have some kind of scalp condition, whether it be itching, flaking, oily or something, and that could predispose you to hair loss as well. So the Boost line and the Soothe line is all available at baumanmedical.com. You can check it out on the e-store if you like. Absolutely. I'm going to make sure to include that note because, I mean, honestly, I feel like I spent years and I'm still trying to figure out what's the perfect shampoo. At first, I found one that was all clean ingredients, but now I want something yeah. to boost hair growth. So um, I'm sure you made it really simple for everyone. Just to, you already did all the vetting for us, and I'll make sure to include that link in the show notes. Oh, absolutely. And of course, there's no one size fits all. Everybody's scalp chemistry is different. And that's one of the reasons why uh, an in-person appointment is so valuable. So when you come in, we'll make sure we do a complete trichology scalp analysis. And we'll probably put you through a scalp makeover program as well, just so you can experience uh, that do good, feel good treatment of the scalp makeover that we do here at Bauman Medical. Sounds incredible. It's like a vacation for your, it's like a vacation for your hair and scalp and brain all within 90 minutes. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you again for being on my show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Kayla. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. Hacking was created and is hosted by Kayla Barnes. This podcast is for informational purposes only and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kayla Barnes, does not accept responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of the information contained herein. Opinions of their guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. 
Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical issue, consult a licensed physician.